This is an SM Media production. Hi everyone and welcome to the latest episode of Chronicle the Rangers Journey. I'm Scott McPike, it's an absolute pleasure to be your host as always. We are picking this show up on the 11th episode in 2007. What happened when the Paula Gwen experiment ended in disaster and David Murray looked to an old friend to help him out and Walter Smith returned for his second spell at the club to join me on this chapter of the Rangers Journey. Gavin Kelly, Gavin it's a pleasure to welcome you on the show, thanks for joining me. Yeah, thanks very much, Scott. How are you today? I'm absolutely brilliant. It's an absolute pleasure to have you on the show. We are obviously, this is a fascinating period in Rangers history, as every chapter of this whole journey is, but this one's interesting because the Paul Le Guin experiment did not work. We spoke about it last week. It was a, it was doomed to fail, obviously, from the beginning. That Those first few days of 2007, what do you remember about those first few days when it was clear that Le Guin was going and a replacement was needed? Yeah, it was it was more the sort of the uncertainty of where where to go next because when Le Guin arrived, it was it was hugely exciting. He was one of the most sought after managers on the continent. He'd been very successful, and then it was the disappointment straight away from that summer of the players that came in didn't match the manager that came in, and it just it, it became pretty apparent early doors that he wasn't want to wanting to stick around that long because there'd obviously been promises made that weren't weren't kept and um, and then things started to unravel from there so but we still had the core of a good squad in terms of the players that were there there were some of them were, were kind of on their way out but we knew that it, it probably wouldn't take that much but what we did need was stability so when some of the names were mentioned and obviously with the job that, that Walter Smith was doing at Scotland it, it seemed like the very very obvious choice in terms of of who was going to come in and, and steady the ship, regardless of how long it might be for. Yeah, I think that's totally fair. Yeah, on the 4th of January, Le Guin leaves and straight away David Murray kind of realises the situation isn't working out and he gets to work. He approaches Walter Smith to try and entice him to leave Scotland. Now, what we need to remember as well as at this time, and I'm sure you'll agree, Walter Smith was doing a tremendous job at Scotland. He had completely turned him around after the Bertie Votes fiasco. Walter Smith leaving Scotland at the time, like that was that was a tough call for him to make. Now I know it's obviously because that Walter had obviously taken Scotland to a new level, but at that time, it was it was it fair to say maybe unfinished. It was kind of halfway through that job. That he, obviously McLeish takes it on, but leaving Scotland at that time was massive for Walter. Yeah, I think. I still think that's one of the things where um, sort of opposition fans, this sort of hatred, whether hatred is the right word or not, for Rangers because we took Smith back at a time when Scotland were were on their way up. They, mm-hmm. They'd been gradually progressing for the whole time that he'd been there. He developed a real sort of club mentality at, at Scotland. You, you kind of knew the, the players that got involved in every squad, and he'd got them 
performing really well. And it was some of the results that um, <clears throat> the campaign we had Italy, Ukraine and France mm-hmm. in the same group. And well, sort of goal or dodgy refereeing decision away from sort of from getting through was was, was incredible. And it was mm-hmm. it looked as though that was the corner turned in it. The fact that it's taken so long to actually get to a major tournament after then is is incredible because it, it looked looked like things were going to happen. But um, but as Walter Smith said at times, is it's the only club that you would have left Scotland for. Um, at the time, I don't think he had any great intentions of um, going back into club management. He'd sort of been there, done it, experienced the Premier League, done everything with Rangers, and I don't think the desire. I don't think he was specifically looking for it. Until obviously um, the phone call was made and asked for him to come back. So, yeah. especially with Alan McCoy as his assistant at yeah. um, Scotland, it seemed like a very, very easy decision for them to make. Mm-hmm. And Murray, to be fair to him, we've, we've, we'll lay into him again in this show. We've laid into him and a few others for certain decisions. But again, he's quick to get Walter in. He's, he knows Walter's desperate to come back and once the kind of lure becomes too much, it's. It's all done pretty quickly. It's all done in a few days. He's announced as a manager on the 10th of January. McCoyst is an interesting one. McCoyst coming as assistant manager because obviously McCoyst at the time, he'd been with Scotland as a, a coach, but it wasn't his permanent job. He was very popular on the television. Had to give up his question of sport career. It was a, it was a big thing for McCoyst to leave that, but obviously the lure of coming back to Ibrox for McCoyst was too much as well. Yeah, I think from that as well, I remember at the time, the thing with McCoyst was he'd obviously done his, his coaching badges as well and, and you don't do that sort of thing if you've got no interest in sort of getting back into the game and, and doing the sort of coaching side of things because he's, he'd, he'd been a media personality when he was still playing as well so yeah. um, it was it's almost like that. That's it was almost like a hobby for him doing the media side of things um, because everything that came out from Sort of the SFA and his coaching when he's done his badges that he was one of the highest scoring coaches in terms of how he was performing. So he obviously had a had sort of skill for it in terms of, of being a coach. I know obviously it comes out later on when he was the manager that some of the training sessions were, were a bit primitive and basic in terms of what we were doing. However, his personality in terms of managing people and interacting with people was obviously obviously effective and as as a pairing it, it certainly seemed to work. There's a fantastic story with McCoyst and Murray negotiating his contract. I don't know if you've ever heard it, but McCoyst was desperate to get his TV money. He was on decent money with, with BBC at the time, and McCoyst took that into Murray and said, I want to get paid this, and Murray came back with a bit of a lesser offer and said, you're getting that. Because Murray knew, Murray, Murray was a, Murray's a good businessman. Murray knew McCoyst was desperate to come back, and it just shows, though, that there was a lot more, like, two really kind of Rangers men that was needed. The fan opinion at the time was not on the same hymn sheet. I remember at the time there was thoughts of this is a, a step back to the 90s. This isn't the modernisation we spoke about in the summer. What was your opinion of it? Do you remember the kind of yeah, opinions think, at the time? Yeah, I think it was because the way like nine in a row and then the, the failed attempt for 10 in a row and mm-hmm. what happened and even with hindsight, we seemed to have the right players and so we're unlucky with like Sam Maruso getting injured and what happened with Negri halfway through the season. So things could have gone a different way, but it was more that we had the players there, but we didn't seem to have them set up right. It was 
did it something by style of play as such. Um, and it was more, it was the players that were getting things done or it was taking individual brilliance from sort of Gaza, loud up and when that, <coughs> yeah. they kind of, for their different reasons in that last season, stopped performing at their usual standards. Things started to fall apart a bit. Um, but then Smith obviously went away, went to Everton, had to deal with a lot of hardship there. Mm-hmm. And then he's gone to Scotland all bit for a short time and he became a more not pragmatic, but a more rounded coach in terms of... Far more tactically. He, he had to yeah. learn tactically. He couldn't get away with just having better players and, and having somebody that would score 40 goals a season at the top of the tree sort of thing. So it was... It, it definitely came back as a different player. But like I said, we went from the excitement of Le Guin to then, well, we know what water's like and we've not got the money that we had before and the sort of accusations that he was only successful previously because he had the bigger budget and could spend money that we no longer no longer had when he mm-hmm. came back. Yeah, I remember that at the time. It was it was weird. That I, you understand it because there was this thing of Rangers and the, the way it had ended, as you say, nine in a, the nine-in-a-row spell would it turned into a bit of a fiasco in the dressing room. And not that that was all Smith's fault. I think if Smith had, would have had his time again, he would have probably done certain things better. But again, it was out of control. I don't think Walter could have done it all himself. But there was this thing as well about Europe. Walter in Europe was not, it wasn't as good as what he would go on to be later on. And that's what we're talking about, this tactical difference. Walter had completely transformed himself as a coach. He'd learned a lot as well. We learned a lot in Scotland going to places like France and going to against Italy that you had to be, you had to set up a different way. You couldn't be as open because you would just get punished. So it wasn't the same. It was a different Walter Smith. It was a more rounded Walter Smith, as you say. And he had to come in and completely transform the fortunes of the club. And you touched on another interesting point as well. It wasn't like the squad was broken. There was a really good core there. You had a, a few good players there was an area I did need sharpened up, is that fair to say? The defence was a big big issue in the Le Guin spell, and he goes in and starts it straight, starts it straight away. Andy Webster and loan from Wigan, again on paper, looked a terrific sign and really good at hearts. So had obviously had a really good time there. David Weir from Everton, a, vet, a veteran centre-back. I don't think we expected what David Weir were going to do. And Ugo Ekiog as well, another experienced Premier League defender. This was a massive statement that the defence was needing sorted and he went in and done it straight away. Yeah, that's it, because the, the players that we brought in, even that were already there as well from um, McLeish's time, he'd, he'd kind of looked to the French market and almost looked as if that was a, a sort of long-term plan in terms of maybe Murray had already had ideas of getting Le Guin because he was on his gap here. So the season before, we were going to get Le Guin we've brought in also, I'd like to Rodriguez fan fan. Yeah. Danny as well. But again, we were playing them in... I mean, Danny was playing at centre-half sometimes under Le Guin, and you think... But even a fielder, let alone yeah. playing him as a centre-half. And, and Danny and Papach as a centre-back pairing, that was not... <sighs> I know. So it, it was almost similar in that... I mean, McGregor was there, had Hutton coming through and emerged. I mean, Stevie Smith as well, who was actually if anything was higher thought of than, mm-hmm. than Hutton at the time yep. before he had his, his injury problems. So between likes of them, Charlie Adam, Boyd, Barry Ferguson was still there, there was that core, that that, that one issue of the centre of defence, which Smith obviously saw it straight away and actually approached it almost instantly in terms of who he brought in. He knew what he was getting. Weir wasn't getting games at 
at Everton. Uh, boy, boyhood fan, so he jumped at the chance, and there's no any, no way any of us thought he was going to be there any yeah. longer than, than the six months that he signed for. But but an incredible Rangers career. When you look at what he won in the time he was at Rangers, the number of games he played, UEFA Cup final thrown in as well. It's just an incredible sort of career for any sort of Rangers player. Um, just the level of consistency and like, the partners that he had. He seemed to improve them as well between Wilson, Gugera, um, Queller as well. Just had some some great partnerships. Um, yeah. But yeah, that was that, that was the biggest issue, and Smith sorted it straight away. Even little things like moving Parpatch to left back, mm-hmm. and straight, straight away, straight away, you've got your your defence sorted. Mm-hmm. And, and, and it again, was all, it was almost not quite overnight, but it wasn't it wasn't far no, away. No, it wasn't. And it, again, it just steadies the ship. Bringing in Kevin Thompson as well from Hibs, a, a hot young talent in that remarkable Hibs team. He was replacing Clement, who returned to France to reunite with Le Guin. I think that was that would have been one I would be interested to see because Clement was a really good shining yeah. light of that time. I wonder what would have happened if Smith had managed to keep hold of him. Now the argument is would Thompson have signed if Clement was there? I don't know, but that would have been interesting, especially what goes on later on. Like Clement was a good talent. Yeah, he was a good, but he was the one that. Even when things weren't going well, you could see he had something something about him, um, and it was it's a shame that he didn't really get to play in a more sort of settled Rangers team mm-hmm. with a balanced defence and and coming in as sort of a signing to improve the midfield rather than one of many players that came in and most of them were subpar and he's kind of been grouped with yeah. the rest of them all together. But there was obviously he obviously wanted to go back to France either hadn't settled or. Or uh, whatever reason, because it certainly wasn't through talent that he was he was getting thrown. Because he was a different player to to Thompson, but it's maybe the sort of thing that Smith had decided what how he was going to play and the, the mm-hmm. style he was going to going to set up in, and that Clement maybe wasn't the the right type for that for that system, and um, it allowed us to bring in a little bit of money to to go and get get the replacement. Yeah, absolutely as well. It's just something that kind of caught my eye there when. You see, like Clement, I've thought about that for years. Would Clement have maybe have been a big player on that team the season after? But Smith comes in, steady to ship, completely informed, picks up seven of the next eight league games for result in victories. The game I think that kind of turns this round that Rangers are kind of back, I would say, is obviously the 1 0 victory at Parkhead. Eki Og with an overhead kick. The defence was so solid. It had only conceded two goals in that period as well. But that going to Parkhead and winning, now the league was over. The league was absolutely beyond beyond Rangers as a contest. But that game just showed that Rangers were back. Rangers, they had this, it was like a, a classic Smith performance of going there and just wasn't a great performance, but it was just so solid. And that was a big turning point, I think, for Rangers. Yeah, it's funny because it's, it's almost, there's sort of shades of, Sort of similarity when Gerard came in as well, and it was like the first, the first old firm, and then the first old firm when at Parkhead, and these mm-hmm. little markers that, even on the grand scheme of things, Le Guin wasn't there for very long. Things went that badly that quickly that it seemed to fall miles yeah. behind them in such a short period of time, and we had, mm-hmm. like, so the players that we'd brought in that that summer, it just didn't seem to be anywhere near good enough for for Rangers, and there's still a few. Few sort of French players as well that, that needed to be offloaded, and it just looked like we were, we were miles away. So, getting that that victory when you know that it's um, the league's done, it just it just sets a mark and a wee reminder that they'll 
that next season is going to be a different a different story. Mm-hmm. The UEFA Cup run ended with a, a defeat to Osasuna in aggregate. They went on to reach the final that season before losing to Seville. Smith had they secured second place. It was a comfortable end to the season. Another one over Celtic at Ibrox. They'd cut the deficit from 17 points to 12 points. There was a lot of thoughts that this summer could be massive in terms of re- reclaiming the league from Celtic. Once Smith gets in and gets a proper pre-season, this will be massive for Rangers and Rangers could go on to, to have a good season next year. But little did we know just how memorable it would be. I know. And that, and that's... You already had the, sort of, the foundations in terms of things probably wouldn't have gone as well as he'd expected them to go at the end of that season in terms of making those minor adjustments to the defence, getting like likes of Kevin Thompson in midfield, because then it became... Most Rangers fans now could almost reel off that that team because it, it, there was that many players that would play. You'd probably about a quarter of eight players that would play every yeah. week, most weeks. Certainly the the goalkeeper and the defence, the, the odd sort of rotation. Same with the midfield. You kind of knew who was going to be playing most weeks. Um, and it just brought in that that stability and the right players for the right manager for the right sort of system and it's when you get all those those things together you know that that you, you're going to be onto something good and you just seem to get it, it absolutely bang on he did and that was a big thing there was a lot of positives getting into the the season of 2007-2008 but over the summer there was a lot of off-field stuff going on as well David Murray a man who had a very large ego he was about to get it stroked, stroked even further he was made a knight of the realm by the Queen in the summer of 2007. He went by Sir David Murray for services to business. Let's pause there and just think about that. Just 15 years later that David Murray was given a knighthood for services to business. But at the time, right, at the time, this was seen as a big thing. This, it was, wasn't it? It was like, oh, the Angels owner's getting made a knight. Like, this is massive. It was, wasn't it? It was massive at the time. Uh, it's, it's the same with the, the players. Whenever you get... I mean, McCoy's got his MBE and mm-hmm. obviously Jermaine, uh, Jermaine Defoe. Whenever you have a Rangers player um, or anybody in the coaching staff gets this sort of accolade, then it is, it is a big thing. Um, and obviously getting a, a knighthood's the sort of the highest highest sort of accolade that, that these individuals can get in Britain, really. So it's, and you could see at the time, but again, it was, as, if, as you've said before about David Murray, and it, it was never really putting his hand into his pocket to, no. to sort of fund Rangers. It was always, he, he was a good business businessman in terms of he knew how to persuade other people to to part with their their money and, and bring them in um, rather than putting his hand into his own pocket. And um, obviously the last 10 years for him have been a lot harder than the sort of 80s and, and 90s were. Yeah, and you you, you kind of look behind the, the surface of this and David Murray's getting his knighthood from the Queen. He's, he's down at Buckingham Palace. But behind the scenes, he's eight, £678 million pounds he owes to the Bank of Scotland. Like, the hold the bank would have on him would get tighter over the next year when the, the whole financial system in the world just completely crashed and Murray became... He's, the thing of getting a loan just for anything was good. Their days were over and Murray, I think, Murray and Rangers both learned that that was how much they were relying on the bank. But when you look at that, he's getting made a knight of the realm while owing the bank nearly £700 million. That shows the, that shows the, 
the system, the way the world was at the time, especially in the financial sector. Well, that's it. It's, it's kind of the same as same as it is now, and they still think of a lot of the financial crash, and, and certainly things with the mortgage. Mm-hmm. The mortgage market was always that people being able to self-certify, they're mm. getting five times, six times their wages, and it was the, yeah. the sort of higher end of the market, not your <coughs> an average couple trying to buy an average semi-detached house um, with a five, ten percent deposit. It wasn't Correct. that end of the market that was that caused the crash, and it was it was the banks sort of backing up people like like Murray that. that Probably had the biggest influence. They thought they could walk in water. It was that. It was that. That's it. And I think the club suffered as an effect of Murray's personal business interests in mm-hmm. terms of the new, the new that Rangers debt was serviceable, but when the owner, so chairman, was having issues of his own, they knew that if things did go wrong with the club, he wasn't in a position to be able to no. put his hand in his own pocket. So I think it, it definitely had a, an effect on us as a as a club as a side effect. Yeah, and at the AGM that summer, he brings up something as well. He's asked about if he'd ever thought about selling the club, and this was the first time I think I've, I've looked back and I've done all the research. It's the first time he floats that idea of that he might he might sell to the right person, someone with the best interests of Rangers at heart. Now, would those words come back to haunt him later on when he does decide to sell up? But in retrospect, at 2007, the debt, the Rangers' debt is not, unsustainable at this point. I think it's down to something like 33 million. It's not, as you say, a disaster. Was this the right time? Was this the time that he could have got out and saved his legacy, do you think? Or was it just too, was it still too far gone? And again, the, the EBTs are still in the background. They don't they don't really come to the surface to a couple of years later. But my, this was the time was this the time he could have maybe saved face? I think so, yeah. I mean he kind of when when Smith comes back we obviously do spend a decent bit of money. We, we, we kind of front load the spending. Again, it was almost quite similar to when Gerard arrived and we front load the spending to, to yeah. sort of rebuild the squad. So um, the likes of Thompson and Whitaker and, and McCulloch, they all come in. Um, Kusan as well. And it's, we do spend a bit, bit of money initially and then it gets, the, the purse strings get tightened. So, it probably would have been a good time, well, obviously Carlos Queller as well, so it would have been a good time to sell then once we brought in a whole load of new players and we're on the up on the upward curve mm-hmm. in terms of performance on the pitch and, and certainly that season. It, he probably could have left certainly a bit more favourably than, than he ended up doing um, because it was, it was at that stage where it's not that he, he didn't care because... Obviously, everything with David Murray was usually linked to his ego, so yeah. it, it was taking a massive dent with how what had happened with Le Guin. Mm-hmm. Whether he thought that that would have been a great moment to to leave, bringing Le Guin in and and seeing him push us on, but yeah. it obviously never happened. And it's um, it just got to a stage where he'd, 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 Murray had been here too long, and um, it was like he was not getting bored, but he no longer had the same enthusiasm that he, that he used to have. Yeah, I think he's dead. I think his ego takes a massive dent with Gwen because, as we spoke about in this podcast over the past few weeks, it's it's not Rangers getting it wrong; it's David Murray getting it wrong, and that's the problem. The little Gwen thing is totally on him. Now we got away with it at the time because Smith came in and completely steadied it. But you look back at that time and Murray, I think that's the last time you see the. the he's obviously talking about the the moonbeams thing and things like that. Like after that, it's just it's not. 
long term it's not an ambitious project it's I'm looking to get out and I think the only thing stopping him getting out is I think if anybody had now he'd said that he'd, he'd turned down a couple of bids that has since been proven not to be true but is anybody looking at that as, as a good business prospect at the time with all this debt and a, what's going on with the I mean he's planted a time bomb with EBTs he absolutely has but could that have been avoided? Could somebody have went in with serious money or would they, put, would they have been put off with what was potentially under the bonnet? I, I don't think, um, because of the whole, because of how EBTs were actually worked, worked at the time, we'd be looking back at and judging it with, with hindsight, which is yeah. which, which is easier, because at the time, obviously, it, it, wasn't, it wasn't an issue, but the, the debt itself, um, I think it was more the financial climate at the time. Mm-hmm. Um <laughs> things were starting to brew in terms, like I said, in terms of the banking infrastructure and, mm-hmm. and finance in general. It was were sort of people within the industry would have known that there was a crash coming in 2008. There's mm-hmm. people were starting to predict that there was going to be issues and buying a football club is never never usually the, the right way to make money. So no. anybody that, that had money would, would probably be looking after themselves first and foremost and protecting themselves for for the future. So the grand scheme of things, Murray wouldn't have been wanting to make money on the sale of Rangers. So even if he'd came in and cleared the debt, he'd still be getting a bargain in terms of the training facility was there, Ibrox was there, the playing squad. Certainly when, um, after Walter arrived, the value of the, the playing squad, when you look at your young players, like I said, with McGregor, Ferguson, Hutton, you had guys there that were worth decent money. Mm-hmm. Um so it was thirty million to clear the debt would have would have got your Rangers quite comfortably, and it would have been it would have been money well spent at the time. But it was more a case of the individuals actually having the money in the the first place and, and not wanting to throw themselves into something that, that could be quite high risk. Yeah, but as you say, like the he did find the money to back him. I don't know where from, but he did he did get it. He did Smith got the money. I don't. I think. Smith would have took that job, but I, th- I don't think Smith's taking it without getting a bit of assurances that he would get a budget to spend money. So he does £10 million in the summer. He spends on the likes of Carlos Queller, Daniel Kuzan, Lee McCulloch, Stephen Naismith, some of the headline signings. And the target was simple, get into the Champions League and regain the SPL title from Celtic. And it's a, a really good start. Rangers win their first five league games, they score 18 goals. And they get Champions League qualification, beating the likes of Zeta and Red Star Belgrade. That Red Star Belgrade game, Novo scores in the last minute to secure a victory. That start, the season started brilliantly. Five big wins, and then obviously that coveted Champions League qualification. Yeah, it's it, that. That's what you're wanting. Whenever it's, um, well, it's not a new manager, but it's certainly the start of the next season. That's that's kind of what you're what you're looking for, and we're, we're scoring plenty of goals. Um, the new players that came in, the new what the game plan was. It was a really, relatively simple game plan, but we had the first kind of signs that we had the two different game plans in terms of sort of Boyd's impact when he was going to play, and then Isakusan and Dashville, and when they were going to they were going to play. And it, it, it seemed it was totally different to before when Smith was there, and it was just trying to use the same <coughs> players to implement the same game plan we were doing in, in Scottish yeah. football, which was never going to work against better opposition and being more pragmatic got us into the Champions League. Whereas if you tried to <coughs> play the same way that we had before it, it, it wouldn't have happened. Um 
so it did it, it was definitely a, a refreshing change and it was from what was a hard draw um against Reslar Belgrade at the time but I mean that was our first four games or the four games of the qualifying rounds and kept four clean sheets yeah so that's that straight away there's that's Walter Smith second time around in a, in a nutshell there mm-hmm, absolutely yeah. and he's it's, as you say it's so much so much difference in Europe compared to the first spell as you say four clean sheets and four qualifiers and Rangers are into the Champions League but League form would take a dip after that. There were three defeats to Hearts, Hibs and the D United in six games. But in amongst those results was a 3-0 win over Celtic at Ibrox. Natural over scoring a double. Sitting in November, Rangers were three points behind Celtic. And apart from those three defeats were obviously big, but it was still, you could see this was going to be close between the two teams. But a 3-0, Rangers were outstanding that day, I thought, against Celtic, the 3-0 win. Yeah, again, that's it's one of those things where we know how old firm games can then affect one way or another the, the sort of the, the rest of the rest of the season. And ironically it's that we lose the next game, but um on most occasions, certainly well going back to recent comparison, Gerard, when he's won the two old firm games, sort of the Christmas period before the break, it was almost like a right, yes, that's us made it. And then mm-hmm. we've had a drop off. Whereas after this game, We'll lose the next one, but then go on a really good run. So it's like an indication of, right, this is what we're capable of doing. Let's sort of find that level of consistency that we need. Um, but whenever you're winning any old firm game 3-0, then it's, you know you're going home, going home happy and it's, um, it's going to set you up well. Absolutely. And the Champions League draw, Rangers are drawn against Barcelona. Obviously, we know Barcelona. This is the, the early stages of this is pre-Pep, but still a amazing team under Frank Rijkaard French champions Leon and German champions Stuttgart Gavin it wasn't an easy draw even then it was how are Rangers getting out of this I know it's it's it's, it's as tough as tough as you can get even though it's maybe not so on paper like nowadays it would be having Bayern Munich PSG and Real Madrid in the same group so it's it's mm-hmm. the sort of group that you, you wouldn't be able to get nowadays almost um, because of the way the seasons yeah. work we try and try and avoid this sort of thing but at, at that point, you kind of go right. Well, let's just enjoy it whilst we're here and see see what happens. Try and get a few decent results and and not get pumped along the way, sort of thing. So, um, and then the way that it was started was uh, was was absolute fantasy stuff. And the, the Leon game still one of our even 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 with the things that um, Gio's done recently and and Gerard, it's still one of our best best ever performances at that level, given the team we were playing against. Yeah, I mean, the, the start, Rangers went 2-1 at home to Stuttgart in the first game and then go to Leon. It's Again, it's still this, it's a game you look back on and you just never forget. It was such a dominant display, 3-0 away. McCulloch, Kuzan and Beasley with the goals. Every goal was just amazing. It was a, there was a, just a brilliant display. And I mean, imagine that, like, people just six months ago, six months before were saying Walter Smith, it was a bad appointment. He couldn't do it in Europe, and you go to the French champions and beat them three nothing. Yeah, I think I think with that one, just when you mentioned the goal goal scorers there, I, I think later on in that season, not having Beasley available affected mm-hmm. because I, I think he, if he'd been able to keep himself fit every week, would have had more of an impact in the way yeah. that we played in terms of the the balance of having sort of Thompson, Ferguson, Davis on the right hand side as he was playing quite a lot then. And having somebody who's more of that 
natural winger, more of an attacking sort of outlet. I know sometimes we played McCulloch on the left as well, but I think he could have would have quite liked to have him more. Certainly when we were going with sort of the four five one, having that yeah. would have liked to have had Beasley's pace as an outlet on the on the wing and to be able to provide more support for the, the striker. But no, it was just an outstanding performance. McCulloch always seemed to the European games always seemed to sort of suit him as well in terms of the role that he was that he was given and and it must be a nightmare for fullbacks when you're playing against a boy that's six foot two playing on the playing on the wing and just getting long diagonals hit up to him to to win the headers and, and to hold it up. But uh, he all seemed to do well in those games. Sometimes I wasn't sure about McCulloch domestically, but certainly in the European games it seemed to it seemed to suit him and, and, and how we played and it was um just a very typical of, of Smith's second spell, how he used McCulloch in these games. Yeah, as you say, six points from two games in the next game. Rangers go to Rangers host Barcelona Ibrooks and this is a big, that's a massive result. Now now at home to Barcelona. I remember leaving that day going, how have we got a draw out of that? And it's it shows you, I mean, you look at some of the players in display, Messi, Ronaldinho, Iniesta was phenomenal that night. And Rangers are sitting joint top of the joint top of the group at Barcelona and three after three games with seven points. And you just think that the first half of that group's went about as good as it could. Yeah, you've got you've got absolutely no right to keep a clean sheet against that Barcelona team. Um and the way that we did it as well, it was uh I can't remember what the possession stats were, but I, I can't imagine us being that far into no. double figures because yeah. it was it, it was 90 minutes of just you were just waiting for the inevitable to to happen really. But again, we've mentioned the first two games and, and things in the, the qualifying rounds and how they were they were typical of, of Smith's second time in charge and if ever a, a result summed up what we went on to achieve in Europe under Walter Smith when, when he was in it was a, a nil-nil draw home against Barcelona with Messi and Ronaldinho in the side mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean still to this day I just I mean I watched back some of the highlights in Barcelona they were just a, a different animal and they were the only this was a Barcelona team pre-Pep this, this Barcelona team went on to improve from this but yeah unbelievable side they then beat us 2-0 at the new Camp. That was expected. That was a... I think Rangers done well to keep it to 2-0, to be fair, but Rangers still had a great chance to qualify. That game in Stuttgart, I think, is a, a fascinating game because Rangers didn't play badly, but it was just one of those weird games. Ferguson gets, in, Ferguson gets injured, somebody gets sent off, if I remember rightly. It was just a, a disappointing 3-2 defeat. Yeah, I think I think with that one, it was the way the way it happened. Um, again, you're you're not really even though we beat them at Ibrox, you're not really expecting to go to the German champions, even though they maybe weren't as strong that year. But because we'd gone in front, mm-hmm. um, and then we pegged them back to two each, and and to get so close, getting into the sort of last five minutes before before sort of going behind again it, it was that sort of we just need a point here mm-hmm. and it would have it would have made all the difference um, and obviously it would have taken two points off of Stuttgart as well so it would have would have sort of ruined their chances so yeah. it was that five minutes away from getting the result that we needed and, and just couldn't get it couldn't get it over the line mm-hmm. but it meant it was poised for the last game Rangers would play Leon at home a draw would see Rangers through to the last 16 but a young Karim Benzema who just tore Rangers apart, really, in that second half. 3-0, Leon won, and Rangers fall into third place in that UEFA Cup, and they go into the, that for the after Christmas. 
it was disappointing to be eliminated from the Champions League after such a strong start, but Benzema was unplayable that night. And that was young, that was a young raw carrying Benzema. Yeah, that was it was a it it was actually almost a throwback to um Smith's first time in charge with sort of playing Juventus and Ajax mm. and, and and getting getting a hiding because it was, it was a proper old fashioned um one team was just stronger, had better players, moved the ball quicker, and never really threatened to to sort of cause them any real problems. Other than I think the Dash will not have a chance early. Dash will had a chance to yeah. make it one each yeah. or something. Like that, and yeah. then he got sent off. It was almost out of frustration, and mm-hmm. even though they got a couple of late goals, it was it was one going on sort of three four before Benzema sort of topped yeah. it off at the end of the game, but. Um, no, they were a good side, and obviously, well, Ben's missed done all right for himself since then. He's, he's done no bad eye, and obviously, earns his move to Real Madrid after that. But yeah, I mean, still UEFA Cup, but still European football, and it would go on to be an unbelievable run. But back to league league action, Rangers between November and January went on a great run. They only drew one game in seven, leading into 2008. But January 2008 would see the departure of Alan Hutton. He would join Tottenham for a then record fee of nine million pounds. Hutton, I've said it many times in this on these types of shows. Hutton from that Smith kind of early Smith return to then, I would even say before Le Guin, under Le Guin as well, he is so good. He's just unbelievable. Nine million pounds was a bargain Tottenham got for him because his progression under Smith, he was one of the best fullbacks in Britain for me at that point, and he was doing it for both Rangers and Scotland. His performance against Italy in that. Infamous game that you spoke about with the the dodgy official Hutton was on. Hutton was in top of his game at that point. Yeah, I remember reading an interview with Alan Hutton, and he actually spoke about how he spoke to the scout that had been watching him when he went down to Spurs, and he said that it, it was nothing to do with what you're doing week in and week in for for Scotland uh, for Scotland in Scotland. It was your performances for Rangers in the Champions League mm-hmm. in in Europe. And your performances for Scotland. He says yeah. that's all we were looking at because mm-hmm. we weren't worried how you were going to play against a team that puts ten men behind the ball or or something like that. Because it just doesn't happen for Spurs when the teams that they're playing against most weeks in the, the Premier League. There's not many teams at that time were were sort of parking the bus, and so we were looking at what you did for Scotland and what you did for the Rangers in the Champions League against mm-hmm. top level opponents, and that's what what got his move. And it's it's an interesting one that. Um, even this summer we've seen sort of articles on scouts and the same thing that they're speaking about with like some Morales and Kent it, yeah. and Joe Arabo it, it's those performances that, that catch the eye and, and Hutton for that sort of 12 month period was was as you said he was one of the best fullbacks in the country and was just was outstanding um, I mean he did it again he maintained that I mean he was unlucky at Spurs in terms that he was holding down a place and then he got injured and then somebody mm-hmm. else came in and did well, so it's mm-hmm. at that level the, the depth of squads that they've got. If you lose your place and somebody does well, it, you face a fight to get to get back in. But he played plenty of games in the Premier League to and more than justified his his transfer fee anyway. Yeah, I mean, as you say, he was unplayable at certain points of that, and it was he was doing it. It wasn't just doing it in the the league. He was doing it against Barcelona. I mean, I think there was an article where I think Zambrotta was up against him. Zambrotta said he was unbelievable against him that night. And you look at the likes of Hutton, obviously, nine million is it? It's massive money back then, but Hutton, 
he wasn't desperate to leave, but Rangers were desperate to cash in and Murray pulls him into the office. And this is true. Murray pulls him into the office and says, you have to go. We have to get this money in. And it shows you at the time, Hutton's desperate to stay. But Murray's just wanting that money in the bank. Uh, I think, as we spoke about before, the money that was spent, so was about $10 million was spent. This is this is getting the money back. Mm-hmm. So whether we already knew, and there's a lot of things that we don't see in the, the press and papers. Down, and in terms of signings and transfers, <laughs> and there was probably already an awareness that clubs had been looking looking at Hutton. Mm-hmm. So he, he was maybe investing the money, or, or the money was getting spent, knowing that there was every chance we were going to be getting that back again. Um, and we also had um, Whitaker already in the squad. Um, I don't know, had we signed Broadfoot by this point as well. Broadfoot so we was there in the summer, yeah, yeah. We there knew was... that there was cover there with mm-hmm. a couple of players that could play it right back. So we knew there was cover there. Um, he was one of the most saleable assets, and it was that was it. It was hadn't wouldn't been given much of a choice there, so we accepted the bid and you're away, sort of thing. And that's how it you're not really. I know most clubs are a step down from Rangers, but going to the likes of Spurs in the Premier League, you're, it's a great opportunity for any any player, regardless of sort of how old they. Absolutely, yeah. and he was. And despite the sale of Hutton, Rangers start. Uh, Rangers started two thousand eight really well. They won all four league games in January and booked a place in the League Cup final. Brian Alexa, Stephen Davison loaned from Fulham. Neil Alexander came in, and Christian Daly, who would all play a part in the second half of the season. Rangers also won. They won four league games in February and went four points clear of Celtic and secured the last sixteen in the UEFA Cup. The a late natural over away goal in Greece against Panathinaikos. Would see Rangers reach the last 16. I remember that night a few Rangers fans I knew weren't wanting that because it would mean more games. But you look back and how important is that like late natural over goal in Greece? I know obviously away goals are still still a thing then. So it was the, the two Panathinaikos games, if memory serves me right, and they weren't up to much. They weren't, they they weren't were very games. games. The home yeah. game in particular was was appalling. Um so it was almost like the players had the same mindset of like, we've managed to get European football after Christmas. That that'll do. And then um, it obviously at that stage there certainly wasn't in the belief that it was going to be going any further or, yeah. or that, that with any great ideas of of progressing deep into the competition because we played Panathinaikos and it looked as if that was that was the level that we were capable of, of beating. And then even then it was only only just absolutely yeah. and again. The games would come thick and fast after that. Two wins over Aberdeen and Hibs and then that memorable 1-0 victory over Celtic. Kevin Thompson with a goal. Rangers were six points clear of Celtic with a game in hand as the, the month of March ended. But that game against Celtic, that how big was that result? 1-0. I remember that's, a, that's the only time I think I've ever heard my dad sing because of how massive that game was. Yeah, I think, I think most fans, even though the, we were aware coming into April and May that we were going to have a lot of games to play whether it was rearranged ones or or because of the, the UEFA Cup and you're, you're going six points clear and you've got a decent fixture list we know that around the corner we've got the, the double header against them so mm-hmm. going six points clear with the double header you're like right well this this gives us a good cushion it gives us a good head start on them um, and Obviously, Thompson, that's, he wasn't known for his goal scoring for him to find himself in that, in that, that position is deep in the box. It must be the first and only time he was ever, ever that deep. Um, but it was a, a wonderful goal and it was, it was a great three points and it looked like it was just going to set us up for an incredible end of the season. 
yeah, it was it was very nice. The poison you say that we cushion and then a double header against Celtic. But before we get into that, Rangers went to Germany to take on Werder Bremen in the last sixteen. Very much the underdogs going into that tie, but a two 0 victory at Ibrox in the first leg. Daniel Kuzan with the most comedic goal I've ever seen. I still don't know what to this day what that goalkeeper was doing, but Davis makes it two 0 Rangers take a big advantage to Germany going there and that night it was one 0 going on seven 0 And if it wasn't for Alan McGregor, Rangers, we wouldn't be we wouldn't look back at that season as memorably as we do now because McGregor was unbelievable that night. The save from Diego is the best save I've ever seen from a Rangers goalkeeper. Yeah, those the save he made Slavia Prague away from home. Yeah. And this Werder Bremen save are, are the, the best two saves I've seen from from any Rangers goal. And I was Absolutely. I was brought up I, I was um lucky enough to be, be able to remember Chris Woods and all of Andy Gorham. And but these two saves were, were just ridiculous. They were not just to 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 sort of save them, but then to to make to put them safe or to to keep a hold of them or just ridiculous. And this is for me <coughs> McGregor's legacy is sort of European games and, and what he's done in mm. the old firm games, big games. He's just he's so many times he's 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 won us games, and that that's the difference with good goalkeepers. And, and McGregor can if he keeps playing, if he never plays again this season, then he can still look back and know that. The contribution he's made has been as big as any any Rangers goalkeeper in my lifetime from happening. Yeah, I couldn't put it better myself. He's that night he was unbelievable. But we talk about about that team and let's get through some of the kind of signings that were there. Queller come in, he looked magnificent. And he said he's come out and said since playing with Davy Weir, it was like playing with my dad. And you saw how good Queller was. He was a top player. Whitaker, Papach, Ferguson, Hamdani, Thompson. I mean, Darsville was there. Darsville done really well. That team was just so well, they were just so well organised as well. That was the only way Rangers were going to get that far in Europe was good team chemistry and just taking your chances. Yeah, everybody knew everybody knew their jobs as well on that team. Yeah. Like, I mean, you start off and you go, right, it's McGregor, Hutton, Weir, Queller, Parpatch. That's, that was the back four. And then we sold Hutton and then that became Quitaker, Weir, Queller, Parpatch. Or particularly in Europe, he put Whitaker on the right-hand side of midfield and it would be Broadfoot at the back. And Every player came in and knew the role. They knew yeah. exactly what their job was. They knew how to perform it. And they would. there was nobody would come in and they, sort of the, the levels would drop or there'd be sort of a dip in the consistency. And it was just, they knew exactly what the what the, the task was. And again, when you look at once we got past, sort of, well, even in the, the, the whole of the knockout stages of the UEFA Cup, Rolling conceded well, a couple of goals mm-hmm. from the round of thirty-two to the final. Rolling conceded a, a couple of goals, which is which is incredible. Mm. Yeah, definitely as well. And it shapes up nicely. Rangers were drawn against Sporting Lisbon in the quarter-final, but before that, Rangers took on Dundee United at Hamden in the League Cup final in March of sixteenth. One of the most end-to-end cup finals I've ever seen watching Rangers in Scottish football. The D United took the lead early on. Chris Boyd come on from the bench and I've never seen a, a Rangers striker. This is Chris Boyd's legacy for me. His, he was not letting Rangers lose that final. The two goals he scores, it, it's just Chris Boyd. He knows where to be. It's two each going into penalties, but that game was just, that game had everything, didn't it? Aye. It was just, I sometimes think with these games, and you see it occasionally in the, the league as well, it, 
it, it almost confuses me why sort of domestic managers, especially now with five subs, mm-hmm. won't have more of a goal because you know you can, if you've got your front four or five players pressing at a really high intensity for 50, 55 minutes, you can replace them all. Yeah. So let them run themselves into the ground and then replace, because we've played in midweek. Mm-hmm. They've had a week to prepare and the best they can come, come up with is 11 men sitting behind the ball. And then like that Dundee United team, they, they knew that we've played a lot of games at this point. And they had a proper go, and that's yeah, they the game in those one-off yeah. games. It's I'd love to see the, the stats for teams that sit in and how often they actually manage to mm-hmm. to win, especially in a, in a cup final. Um, you look at uh, Hearts in the Scottish Cup final uh, this year or this season, um, twenty twenty-two, and they were they were a better team than how their manager set them up on on the day, yeah. and. It, the fact that it took us so long to actually break them down was probably the biggest scandal of the day because they, they didn't lay a glove for the whole whole game. But that Dundee United performance was one where it was they generally went for a team that knew had been playing a lot of games and there could be a, an element of fatigue about them. And it was only because I, like I said, Boyd being obsessed with sort of scoring goals and and, and being the hero in the day that it got us through. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, yeah. And as you say. I have never seen a man as confident going up to take a penalty in my life than Boyd that day. He goes up and slots at home and Rangers win the first trophy of the season. Boyd stepped up and Rangers, it was a dramatic, huge victory for Smith's side. And that whole month of March was was massive, but April was not as good domestically. A 3-3 draw awaited in the United early in the month. The doubleheader against Celtic. Now, we'll start with the first game, was the 1-1 game. Rangers played pretty well. Celtic take the lead early. I think it was, was it Maloney or Nakamura? I can't remember. I think it was Maloney scored that day. And Novo brings it back to 1-1, but McGregor saves a penalty and they lose a late goal. And it's just this one, that that one thing as well that we'll touch on later on. Celtic just had it late on in that game and they would go on to prove it again. But that first game, that 1-1, Queller gets sent off, McGregor getting injured. It was just a... Again, it's hard on your mouth stuff, and that's what it was all season with that those gifts. Yeah, it's 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 a fine fine margins, and mm-hmm. and certainly when it's two teams that are sort of competing as closely as that. So at this point, there's only sort of obviously we've dropped points a week before, but it's you know it's going to go down to the wire. Queller getting sent off after seventy minutes. That's it's a big shout to say that that's the league. But if we come out of that game with a draw. The mentality changes mm-hmm. because if you go you go down to ten men and you manage to keep the result, it's a huge boost going into the next game because we're playing them straight away in that yeah. next game. Whether and again hindsight's a wonderful thing, but you don't know if their heads go down because they think, oh well, we should have beat them there. Mm-hmm. We've had twenty odd minutes where we could we could get another goal and get a win, but they've then got that that flip side of that is they've scored in the ninety third minute to take the three points. So we've been that close to to holding on, and then our heads go down rather than rather than it being the other way around. And it's it's obviously how football works is those those inches make up the make up the miles in the end. And it's just been it was so close to holding on and and, and getting a a deserved point from what was a yeah. tough game. Yeah, that first that first game was unbelievable. But the second game was just as hectic as well. Celtic go up. I think this is the I think Maloney scores this one, and Nakamura scored the previous one. If somebody can correct me, then I would greatly appreciate it. McDonald, McDonald gets a double in this. Nakamura scored in the, the first one, and um, yeah. McDonald 
McDonald scores. Yeah, that's yeah. right. I'm trying to think Maloney scored, but Maloney definitely scored a belter against uh, Rangers at one point. But those that game is another one as well. If Rangers take one point from set those those six, Rangers, I think Rangers win the league. I think it's just those two games. I think decide the title for me because mm. it just changes the landscape of that season completely. Yeah, I mean both games. I think that the thing is, and and frustratingly for Smith and the way that we've been playing in Europe was that in both games we were in a position to take points. So the the first game we should have got a draw. The second game we were two one up mm-hmm. just shortly before half time. Um, and then McDonald scores just before half time. So it's if you go into half time two one up, obviously we're more likely to get something out of it. But then we've lost two goals and lose the game three two, and it's don't get anything out of it. So considering how good we were, uh, either keeping a clean sheet or maintaining just a one goal advantage in Europe, mm-hmm. to then we seem to be really poor at it for for certain spells domestically. Um, in terms of some of the games that we. We dropped points in. I mean, we drew three all with Dundee United before the two games against Celtic. So that's what eight goals, eight goals in three games we've lost. Mm-hmm. Which, considering how we'd been setting up in Europe, was just insane. It was a total, totally different team. Yeah, and as you say, the players are just playing every every. It felt like every day, but it was it was unbelievable the amount of games, but. That that April kind of turned the turned the tide in the league more towards Celtic. But Rangers, to be fair, they did they had three games in hand. They still had the initiative, but it was all about Europe now. Sport in Lisbon, Rangers were through that memorable night in Portugal with Darsville and Whitaker scoring the two goals to to see them through a semi final against Fiorentina. That Sport in Lisbon game, what's the memories of that night in Portugal? Basically, screaming at Whitaker to pass it for about <laughs> for about sixty meters. Um, obviously we know what Whitaker's legacy is with Rangers but for that at that moment in time um, it was one of the best Rangers goals I'd, I'd ever seen and yeah, certainly the importance of it as well it yeah. was just the, the composure at 1-0 up to just keep going with it keep beating the play and then to not play the pass and the composure for the finish because it was a it was a lovely finish as well it doesn't absolutely it yeah. doesn't just take a swing at it. It's really calm, really composed, and at that point, you know it's you know it's done because it's a way again the way goal thing. You know, you know it's done. You can relax and enjoy the last the last few minutes, and and, and it was just um, again another two clean sheets over the two games. You're thinking this, how can this, uh, how can we keep going and keep keep doing this? But it's Fiorentina in the semi final, Zenit and Bayern in another semi final, but the. The two games against Fiorentina, I remember that game at Ibrox. I think the fans were so nervous. It was just such a quiet affair. Do you remember that? It was just, it wasn't just quiet. The actual game itself was was really strange um, in that it was, neither team really seemed sure what they wanted, yeah. Of, of what to do. They, they, they didn't really seem to stick or twist. Rangers, we've already seen, we played the away goals rule. Um, really well. I mean, we had Panathinaikos were at home first, Werder Bremen were at home first, Sporting were at home first, and then we've got another home tie with Fiorentina, and it's funny how nowadays we would want to bet Ibrox second, whereas yeah. that team seemed to suit having their away game mm-hmm. second, because we knew that we keep a clean sheet at home, we can set ourselves up to counter, and it's, it worked every time, um, which is which is obviously totally different to nowadays, where we'd rather have the, the second game at Ibrox and, mm-hmm. and 
go all guns blazing sort of thing. Yeah. But it was just a really strange, really, really strange game. And the, the second leg, all I've ever seen, uh, remember from the second leg is, is Vieri just being an absolute shadow of the player that used to be in the number of the chances that he missed for yeah. a player of his ability was incredible. That sticks out to me as well. But as you say, Rangers had that game plan. They just knew that defend, that defensive strategy. Walter Smith is a legend, but his, his ability in this game to to just stick to that plan because Fiorentina, as you say, Vieri had so many chances. Look at Ellie as well. Remember him? He had a, he had a few chances as well. Rangers just were under the course all night. Kuzan gets sent off as well, which I think plays a part in the next game. But it goes to penalties. And after Ferguson missing the first one, I was my head was in my hands. I was thinking, not now, not this way. That's what I felt like after that penalty. Yeah, it was just... You're, when you go behind early in a penalty shootout, it's, you're just hoping for, for something. You, you just want anything to... That little bit of light, and it was the same in Seville. It was just when Ramsey missed, you were just hoping that McGregor was going to produce something, but it wasn't to be. And, and this time round, obviously, no McGregor. Alexander comes in, and it's almost a similar stage to what we're at just now with McGregor and McLaughlin. Is it with yeah. Alexander and McGregor? And you knew that there were slightly different styles, but you two goalkeepers that you could trust to play in, in any game. And Alexander showed that, and he never let us down in any of the games after McGregor got injured and um, he certainly earned his, earned his money this night. Yeah, absolutely did, Jay. I mean, there's Rangers score their next three penalties and Fiorentina miss two and Vieri's ball still in the air, I think. <sighs> or, as you say, just a shadow of himself, but it all goes to Nacho Novo. Nacho Novo has a chance to send Rangers to the final and just I've never, the commentary that night of Manchester brace yourselves and they're coming it was just Novo puts it away he's the calmest man in Italy at that point and it's just that's it Rangers are through at the final what a feeling that was yeah it's, you're saying about uh, Boyd earlier Novo was the same you have for yeah. me you have two types of players that the guys that want the headlines they want to grab the ball they want to take the winning penalty and you have others that are they're not quite sort of forced but it's right look there's an exact an acceptance that they have to do it rather than actually specifically wanting to do it and, and be that be that player. And you could see that with Novo. You, you, there was never any sort of, when you're looking at him, again, when you watch it back with hindsight, you looked so calm. You, you just, you looked like he was going to score. Um, and he'd taken big penalties for us in the past as well. Uh, and it was just, you knew that, when you watch it back now, that we didn't really have anything to be worried about, no. but at the time it was it was horrendous <laughs> and unbelievable. Yeah. It was just, I never thought I'd see it in my lifetime. No, I yeah, never, I never thought, thought I'd see it. after ninety two, ninety three, and how close we came then with a really good team competing against the best. I didn't think we'd be anywhere near a, a European final again, yeah. given how how much the game had changed in twenty years and the, the difference in finances from from the clubs going around around Europe that I just didn't think we'd be back there again. No, absolutely not. And this is the this is one of my favourite this is my favourite season being a Rangers fan. This is unbelievable in this whole night. Smith deserves so much credit for taking that team to that final. But he's quite 
ironically, I think, and this, I think this kind of journey kind of reflects this as well. It's Zenit St. Petersburg Rangers playing the final managed by Dick Advocat. So there was a, a lot of kind of weird feelings around this game. But with, going into the final, I remember, obviously, although Zenit had battered Bayern Munich and they were a terrific team, there was, there was confidence that Rangers could do it. But do you think there was a wee underestimation of just how good that Zenit team was? I, I don't think there was a an underestimation because they, they had really turned Bayern Munich over. Yeah, it, was, yeah. it was an incredible performance. And um, I, I think the biggest worry at the time going into that game was the, how much our team had in their legs. We It was almost, we knew they were going to be a good side, but it was what did we have? What did we have in the tank? Were we capable of doing the same thing again? Because we'd seen the number of clean sheets that we'd kept. We knew that there was a way that we had to play for it to be successful for us to win. And the strange thing is during lockdown so a couple of years ago, I went back and watched this game. There's, there's a great website. I know there's a great website. They've got all these games games on them. And um usual thing, I'd, I'd not, long, I'd not, not long had surgery on my knee, so I was off work anyway, just looking after the kids. I thought, I'm going to watch this game. And... I thought we were 2 0. It's amazing how you, you remember things differently. I thought we were 2 0 down relatively early doors and mm-hmm. it, it, they'd coasted and we hadn't really laid a govern them. But it was actually quite an even an even game. There was a lot of, a lot of huffing and puffing, a lot of it played in the, in the middle. But um, it wasn't like Alexander was keeping us in the game or that no. they were missing. There are a couple of decent chances, but um, obviously we got to 70 minutes. Before they they scored the opener, and it was, it wasn't a sense of oh that's us knackered because we actually started opening up a bit more after yeah. then, and that was a frustrating thing when I, when I watched it back was like, why didn't have more of a go? Early I would on? have I would loved I would have loved to have been able to yeah. ask Smith Walter Smith like, does he regret and, that because it was yeah. a, it's a one although they'd got they deserve unbelievable credit for getting to that final but just in that final could they have maybe opened the game up and would it have been a different story. I mean, we, We've seen interviews with players since then, and Barry Ferguson spoke about it, and Kevin Thompson as well, saying that they were not that they were they were done, but it just felt like they they couldn't appreciate the magnitude of what they achieved getting yeah. to European final because they knew that it was like one game, then the next game, then the next game. There was no build up to it. There was no time to prepare properly, so they just basically adopted the same sort of tactics, and it was a chance that. I know Novo had a chance to make it one each. Um, and when I watched it back again, it was like, oh, it was just, it, it could have been another another of what might have been. Um, but that was the biggest one for me. I know you touched on uh, Kusan before, if you hadn't been sent off in the semi-final. But for me, Nova had scored in the previous two domestic games, I think, mm-hmm. and, he, and he'd been playing well. Mm-hmm. And I, I think he should have been an option for this game. I agree. Start, because strikers, when they're confident, and, Nova was always a Apache, sort of streaky player, and when he was on, he was on. Mm-hmm. And I think if we'd, that would have been the one change I would have made in terms of sort of who was starting up front. I would have had Nova on from the start with this one. But as it as it was, the the better team won. How it how it happened was was totally different. How I remembered it in terms of the them scoring in the ninety fourth minute because I thought we were we were long out of the game. But it's it's funny how you remember things when you. It's you weird, yeah. It. It's. I can never go back and watch two games and it's for different reasons. I can't go yeah. back and watch this final and I can't go back and watch this year's final just for two different reasons. But, right, 
let's get into it before we talk about the the end of the season. Zenit had a week to prepare for that final. Rangers did not have anything like that. Rangers were trying to get the season extended. It was different to how I remember it was Celtic. Celtic got a full week to prepare. What what goes on? Why Scottish football? Why and that should have been celebrated as a Scottish team getting to a, a European final. And again, it's just a silly nature of Scottish football. I mean, Murray, Murray says some daft things in this time, but he comes out and says the football world are in disbelief at going on like this, and he's right. How? And we know since, obviously, the SFA have come out, the president's come out and said that he was told to, to not help Rangers in any way, but it felt as if Rangers, Rangers were out on their feet and any other league in the world would have helped a team to progress in the final. I know, it's... It's one of those things where there's some self-inflicted problems from um, not seeing off like Zapartic Thistle in cup games and stuff like that. Yeah. So we had lost space, um, but playing three games, uh, so we played on the 4th, 7th, 10th of May, and then we've got this game on the 14th. So we've got three games. Okay. in such a short period before. So we've got two games in the same space that Zenit had none. Mm-hmm. Zenit got so, two weeks off, I think. So straight away, we're up against, but I think more for, more so from, an, not from a tactical point of view, because I think this team knew what they were trying to do and how they were going to set up. It was more recovery. Mm-hmm. The players needed that rest and recovery because it wasn't a big squad in terms of the core of players that we used. Um and it, just having that extra few days recovery, just one of those games being uh, postponed. So the game that we had in the 10th against Dundee United being, being postponed would have potentially given us that, that little 5-10% that, that we needed at, at that level. Because there's one thing playing games and, and players get used to playing games. And I certainly think this current team is really good for when they're playing consistently, they seem to perform better. But not to the extent that you're playing every two, three days, which, yeah. which you are when you're playing sort of Saturday, Monday, Thursday or Saturday, Monday, Wednesday, Saturday, I think it was one week, which was just ridiculous. Um, and because of how rare it happens, I mean, I don't want it this time around, but again, look, PSV have had their mm-hmm. just changed to give them more time to prepare for a Champions League qualifier. So it's because they appreciate that that benefits Dutch football mm-hmm. Correct. rather than uh, just one individual individual team so sometimes it would be nice to be asked but do you want the game moved? I don't think we would on this occasion because of the players we've got missing and, and all that sort of stuff but um, certainly in, in 2008 it was it should have been it shouldn't even, even have been a question yeah, um, we all know, football hasn't yeah. changed in that regard but, and we all know the reasons why it was why it wasn't granted and the, the fairy tale trips abroad that couldn't be moved and, and all that yeah. sort of stuff. Yeah, I mean it's yeah, it could it makes you angry. But again, it wouldn't would it have changed the result? I don't I don't know. I don't think it would have. But again, you'd be just having playing playing three games in ten days as going into a European final, which as you say, benefits a whole of Scottish football and again just only in Scottish football does that happen. But what was your memories of that day? Um, a wee, a wee story about that day. Where were you? Where did you watch the game? Well, this is this is the year I got married. I actually got married um, 
so a couple of months after this. So I was skint. <laughs> I was absolutely <laughs> brassy. We'd um, paid for the honeymoon, the wedding, and everything. So my, my wife's a Rangers fan as well. So this was, we could have, there was plenty of guys from the town. So I live uh, in the borders, and there was loads of guys went down to Manchester. It was um, an easy enough trip, but there was an element of the superstition as well because we'd watched every game together. It was like, yeah. right, um, and how much it was going to cost us. It's like, well, like, well, we'll just watch it at home. So we watched it, watched it at home, and but it was just the the whole day, same as with Seville. I mean, we went up to to Glasgow for Seville, and it was just the. That almost feeling of being feeling sick for the whole the whole day, <laughs> waiting for it, waiting for it to start, and um, it was just. I see you never think, you never think it's going to happen because we'd, no. we'd actually another thing we'd actually just bought a house as well, um, and I'll still remember the carpet, the fireplace, everything because it was it needed loads doing to it, and that's my lasting memory of of, of that game is actual. The state the house was in, and um, after it, when you obviously speak to your mates and like some of the stories, like, oh, I wish I'd gone down, but again, it's you're applying hindsight to it because it, it was it just simply didn't have the money to do it. Yeah. I would have loved to have done it, but it, it just simply wasn't wasn't there. And it was, um, but it was still like, one of the things you'll never forget. Never forget, and it was. I mean, we went down with Math. I went down with my dad, uncle, uh, two cousins, and we went down a, a Sephira part in a wee car park next to the Etihad and watched the game in a car park in the vel- next to the next to the Etihad in a velodrome. I mean, it's unbelievable day and a day you never forget. But again, just so many memories. If you have memories from that day, leave them in the comments because I love hearing memories of that day. But so, but. Uh, Manchester was over and Rangers had to play a whopping four games in eight days to try and win a domestic treble. The players had zero energy. I think they were out on their feet and they had to pull themselves together. A draw away to Motherwell, a 3-0 win against St Marin. meant it was all going down to the last day. Celtic had the initiative. Celtic won, they won the league, but Rangers just couldn't get it. Rangers just couldn't get it done and Celtic won the league that day. Celtic 1-1-0 at uh, Tannadice against the United Rangers were beaten 2-0 at Petodre against Aberdeen. That was a game just out of frustration. But the credit that Rangers team deserved for that season, that whole, and they go and obviously wrap the Scottish Cup up 3-2 in the final game. They'd played 68 games that season and come away with two trophies and nearly won four. I mean, that season, what was the, that whole season, just sum it up for us, how monumental was that and how much credit does that team and Walter Smith deserve? Yeah, I think I think the Motherwell result. I mean, I, again, as I said before, it was the, the end of that season, and I think that's where the sort of the mental fatigue comes into it because the two Celtic games were in positions to get points, the Dundee United game as well, and then the Motherwell game towards the end of the season. We've only got a few games left. <coughs> we're winning one nil in that game at half time, and it's whether it was the, the sort of mental strength used to go on and, and kill teams off, or it was just trying to hold on to what we had and we, we, we just weren't capable of it. I, I still think if we, we hold on against Motherwell, I think we'll get something against Aberdeen. Mm. But obviously, again, hindsight's a, a wonderful thing. But that that season as a whole was just incredible. I, I certainly didn't think we'd see anything close to that. And yet, last season, we're, we weren't far away in terms of the number of games that we, that, that we played. And it was just... For different reasons, like the UEFA Cup run was exciting. It 
some of the games were horrendous to watch, and if you, there's no way you wouldn't want to go back and watch the Panathinaikos game or even the, the sort of first legs against Fiorentina or, or Sport. And those aren't ones that I'm on the treadmill and go to YouTube and watch those to, to pass the time. But as a whole, it, it kind of summed up Walter Smith and, and his second term in terms of win the two cups, and we were always a good cup team under under Smith as well. So winning the league and he just knew how to get the best out of a group of players and I think if we'd had a slightly bigger squad it, it could have been could have been even more that season um, a couple of decisions one way or another but it was still to be so close to winning the league with what we had to put up with at the end of that season and this sort of mental stress of playing in a major European final was, was some effort Yeah it absolutely was that season is monumental for for whole reasons, and it's the sort of reason we look back and do the, do these kind of shows is just to reminisce and how good that season was. Gavin, it's been an absolute pleasure to do this show with you. I really appreciate it. Thank you very much. It's been no, it's been it's been fun looking back on what was what might have been, but also a, a lot of highs as well. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's been a tremendous journey. On the next part of the Rangers journey, what happens in two thousand and eight when Walter Smith clinches three in a row? He wins the next three championships with Matt with minimal budgets there's hardly any money there to spend and the calm before the storm what happens David Murray's in the last tenure of his Rangers spell and he sells the club but little does he know the impact that will have thank you very much to everyone that's tuned in to this episode of the Rangers journey and we will see you for the next part <laughs>